0: Well, I'll do it again. This Good morning, Bellevue Baptist Church. And good morning to those online who are watching us this morning. We appreciate all of you being able to be here in one way or another. That An ink pen will not stay there. It just keeps rolling sideways. That's going to distract me like crazy. There we go. I fixed it. Well, this morning, I hope to uh, <clears throat> talk to you about one word, and that one word is Simplicity. We're going to use this this term throughout the message this morning. Um, and I hope to, before we get too far into things, just to bring a couple of examples forth that maybe will, I don't know, get us a, in the right frame of mind to think about what simplicity really is. So start off this morning with a definition or a uh, a quote from Albert Einstein, if you will. He said the definition of genius is taking the complex and making it simple. As people, we have this propensity to sometimes do things the hardest way possible. Every now and again, we will not take the time to realize that something that is very, very simple doesn't need to be made into something that's very, very hard. And we, take, we choose that wrong path. We choose that path where um, we add a level of difficulty to it. And, and I'm going to try to, to make that point this morning by talking about a guy by the name of Earl Dixon. And Earl Dixon invented the Band-Aid in 1919. A Band-Aid is a very simple item, is it not? In 1919, Earl Dixon was a newlywed and he found that his wife was having some difficulty in the kitchen. She would continue to get scrapes and cuts on her hands, and he found that the bandages that were available at the time were just a little bit too big for those small cuts and scrapes, and so it would make it difficult for her to continue doing what she needed to do if he put a big bandage on her hand. Now, he happened to work for Johnson & Johnson, and he got this idea to take some gauze and cut a little square out and take some adhesive tape, And just put it on his wife's boo-boo. And it was a very simple thing that he came up with. And so in 1921, the first Band-Aid was sold on the market. Now, I don't know if you can see it or not, but that box that we have there in the picture is actually a picture of what the first boxes looked like. And it says on that box, it says, J&J band-aided, he's a bandage, a protective dressing for minor cuts, burns, and abrasions two and a half inches by 18 inches. Again, it's a simple idea, right? Look at the instructions here for the Band-Aid. Now, now, I don't know know, if you can see it very well, but the hand that's there is up in the air with this this finger. And on that hand, there is a cut. So they're keeping that kind of up in the air there. And it says, hey, all you have to do is cut off with scissors the size that you need. I don't know about your house, but in my house, we probably have 10 pairs of scissors, and we can never find one when we need it, much less in an emergency. It turns into, Jesse, have you seen the scissors? No, I haven't seen the scissors. Rachel, have you? Seen- no, I haven't seen it. Well, mom had the scissors. Mom, what'd you do with the scissors? Oh, I'll put them back where they're supposed to be. Well, they're not where they're supposed to. And this goes on for 10 or 15 minutes while I'm bleeding to death. So they took a very simple idea and they said, let's make it 18 inches long, three inches wide, and give people the ability to cut off the size that they need and then peel off the protective covering and at that point apply it to the wound. Now, needless to say, the first year that that Band-Aid was out, it didn't do very well. It made about $3,000 in sales and was considered to be a flop. But simplicity was found in success. Whoa. Success was found in simplicity. They're both right. Go to the next slide, you'll see, and I probably could have chosen a better picture of Band-Aid box for this. Um, What was it, Jesse said that one, that that looks like you give you tetanus just opening it. Um, (laughs) Band-Aid became a more simple idea and a simple concept. Uh, Today they manufacture 10 million Band-Aids a day, which is 117 Band-Aids every single second. So it's a success. But it's simplicity that oftentimes is overlooked that brought it to success. When we communicate with people as well, it's it's important for us to sometimes communicate in a very simple manner. I want to give you one example of communicating in a very simple manner. Kroger knows how to do it. When you see that, you automatically know it's a good deal. When you see woohoo, it's time to go running. And I had to put this next picture in here because this next picture is of a lady. And I'll tell you, I have never seen someone so happy to be buying meat that will be expired by the time she gets out of the store. But there's power in Kroger's woohoo sticker, is there not? I mean, who, who doesn't go look at the manager's special? It's simplicity in communication. And it's simplicity in the whole concept of how we're going to let you know what we want you to know. And and really and truly, the gospel can be an incredibly complex thing. The gospel can be deep enough for an an elephant to wade into. The gospel can be something that we can study in-depthly and never, ever, ever run out of new things to discover. But at its heart, it is a very simple thing. And if we look at a lot of the messages that God delivers in Scripture, we find that simplicity winds up being the key to a lot of God's messages. Look, for, look with me, if you will, at 2 Corinthians 11.3. This is our focal passage for this morning. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. He says, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul was concerned that the members of the church at Corinth would be led astray from the gospel, that they would be led astray by those who were bringing them other messages besides the gospel message that he had brought, that they would begin to put focus on things that were more important in their eyes than just christ crucified and that jesus is enough that they would begin to elevate things that shouldn't be elevated and 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 in that process they would completely lose their focus so we're going to go to the lord in prayer and then we're going to talk about simplicity gracious heavenly father thank you for this day lord we are so grateful that you have allowed us to be here this morning. Father, we thank you for seeing us through yet another week. Father, I pray this morning that your words will be spoken with authority. Father, I pray this morning that your message will be communicated effectively. And Father, I just pray this morning that your kingdom may be grown and that relationships may be strengthened. And Lord, I pray that If in the course of our daily lives and if in the course of our Christian service, any of us have become distracted by anything other than our relationship with you, Lord, I hope and pray that you will bring us back around today. I hope and pray that this message will have an impact on each and every one of us in the way that you would have it impact us. Lord, be with us this morning as we uh, just endeavor to draw closer to you, Lord, And we thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. So our first point that we want to discuss this morning is God means what he says. It really is that simple. So we just read a passage where Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he's concerned that they could fall victim to essentially to a message that is not the gospel. He's worried that they will be distracted and that um, essentially Satan will get his way within the church. And so let's look a little bit about what he's referring to back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 2, 15 through 17, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded The man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is not hard to understand. This is not complex. God means what he says, and he says what's going to happen. And he means that too. So let's stand on that for just a moment and realize that God means what he says, and it really is just that simple. And let's go straight into our second point. And our second point is that Satan will twist and complicate. You see, that's what the Apostle Paul was concerned with. He was concerned that the simple message of Christ crucified might get twisted and complicated. And what happens when that occurs? We have this knack about overthinking things. I know I do. I can lay awake all night long thinking about the same thing over and over and over and come up with 50 different ways to solve a problem, and none of them worked. I can get myself wrapped up sometimes in my own head to where my family will talk to me, and I don't hear a word that they're saying. And the Apostle Paul is warning the church at Corinth on that. So let's look at what Satan did back in the book of Genesis when he spoke to Eve. Starting in verse 3, it tells us, He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Eve understood. She knew the message. It was communicated. She understood what God said was going to happen. She understood what God said you should not do. It was clear because she told the serpent, this is what God said. So there's no doubt that she understood. But she allowed herself to be influenced by the things that the serpent had to say to her, causing her to question causing her to make it way more complicated. Look at verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, when Eve started to ponder the questions, when Eve started to allow the serpent to make it more complicated than it really is, At that point, the door was opened, and we all know what happened moving forward from that point on. Satan will twist and will complicate. Let's go back to the church in Corinth and look at what was happening here again. The church at Corinth was listening to what the ESV calls super apostles. They were really false apostles. And as we said before, these apostles were coming in and they were telling the church at Corinth that Christ was not enough. They were elevating things like, what miracles can you perform? They were elevating things like, what's your gift to the Spirit? Is your gift better than this person's gift? And so the focus starts to be on the individual and what the individual can do and not on what Christ has done. And so Satan loves to twist. So they were adding to the gospel, putting emphasis on signs and wonders, lifting individual achievements above understanding the true gospel. Look with me at uh, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15, and see how Paul describes these people. In verse 13, he says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. See, the Apostle Paul said, These men who are talking to you, these men who have come here to deliver a message to you, They are servants of Satan. They have disguised themselves as servants of righteousness, and you have welcomed them in because you have forgotten the simplicity of Christ. You have forgotten the simplicity of the gospel message, and you've allowed them to complicate things, and it's pulling you away from what should be at the center of everything. Which brings us to our third point. Guard your relationship with Christ. Now, you may ask, what does that have to do with simplicity? It has everything. Because at the root of the gospel, at the core of the simplicity of Christ, is our relationship with him. If we and the folks at Corinth were spending more time on developing their individual relationships with, and not worrying about these additional things that were brought in, not worrying about the distractions, not looking for ways to edify themselves, not looking for ways to be distracted. But if they were focusing on the simplicity of a relationship with Jesus, it would have changed everything. Christianity is simply about a relationship. He is enough. Don't get so involved in the things about Christ that we fail to live in a relationship with Christ. See, there's a warning there, a warning that says that distractions, a warning that says that that things that we don't even see coming, things that we would consider to be good things, can distract us from the simplicity of our relationship in Christ. And so, our fourth point in our limited time this morning is what's most important? Is it still most important? It's a question to ask ourselves. If you want to keep things simple, simply ask this question Have I allowed my life, my stress, my pride, my service, my job, my church, my fill-in-the-blank. Any of those things to cause me to lose focus on the simplicity of Christ and my relationship with him. He is enough. End of story. Once we take our eyes off Christ, what do we do? What happened to Peter? We find ourselves sinking. We find ourselves sinking in the confusion. We find ourselves sinking in the questions. Listen, we can get so deeply involved in things like Christian service that we start to worry more about what people are thinking of us and our efforts, and are we looking good enough to others that we forget that our Christian service is about our relationship with Christ? There's a number of things that could jump up and surprise you that are all brought forth by Satan to cause us to go astray and lose that picture of simplicity. There's even simplicity in basic gospel message, in basic salvation. We're going to watch a video here in a couple of minutes after we go over the the main points. So let's do that, the main points here. Point one, God means what he says, and it is that simple. Satan will twist and complicate. Remember James 4.7, right? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How simple is that? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Point three, guard your relationship with Christ. And point four, ask yourself, is what's most important still most important? It's a periodic checkup. When you're in the midst of of Christian service, when you're in the midst of your daily routine, when you're in the midst of working, whatever it is that you do, ask yourself, is what's most important still most important? I was sharing with a Sunday school class this morning, and also did on Wednesday night, that that I was guilty, and, and still can be, guilty of compartmentalizing my life, of saying, no, God, God doesn't want to be bothered with this piece of my life. God doesn't want to Uh, to hear about this. Listen, when when I have that kind of attitude, I'm taking Christ out of the center of some area of my life. And in order for my relationship with Christ to continue to be most important everywhere, we don't get to compartmentalize things. God wants to have a hand in every part of our life, our work life, our home life, our church life, our relationships with others, whatever it may be, God God wants to be at the center of all of it. And if we try to take some of that back from him, then, as I said this morning, when we play I Surrender All, it tears me up because he causes me to look at all these compartments and say, am I truly surrendering all? When we're truly surrendering all, we are keeping what's most important still most important. And we're filtering everything with God at the center of everything that we do. There's a video I wanna share with you, just a couple of minutes long here. Some of you may be familiar with Alistair Begg. Um, this is a, a uh, part of a sermon he gave And I thought it was appropriate to to share this morning, because it, it gives us the most simple picture of salvation. Even preachers are guilty of complicating salvation. We're guilty of going through classes, guilty of going through seminary, guilty of gathering a whole lot of knowledge and that's good but what isn't good is when we use that knowledge in a way that complicates things for those that we're called to witness to for those that we're called to shepherd for those that we're called to 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 lead to Christ and it's an easy thing to do and this video really boils it down i think it says, essentially, that all of these doctrines, all of these things that, that are good to study, when it comes down to the, to the, the, the nitty-gritty, there's really only one thing that matters. Josh, could you show that video, please?
1: Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing— Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. If think about the thief on the cross, and what an immense! I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You never, you didn't know a thing about church membership, and and yet, and yet you made it you made it how did you make it that's what the angel must have said you know like what are you doing here well I don't know what what do you mean you don't know well like, 'cause cuz I don't know well you know where you uh, did you... excuse me let me get my supervisor they go get the supervisor range it so, we're just a few questions for you. First of all, are, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, I never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, I, I, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, On, on what basis are you here? And he said, The man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. The man on the middle cross
0: said I could come. It was the relationship that the thief on the cross had that he formed in an instant with the Savior that led him into heaven. That led him into paradise. It's a relationship that is so profoundly important. Yet so simple to form. We see that in scripture. Let's not complicate it. Let's not overlook it. And let's not make it more than it needs to be. But this morning. As the musicians come forward. And we begin to have our hymn of invitation. Ask yourself, do I know Jesus? Am I in the situation that the thief on the cross was? Where judgment is about to come? And have I built a relationship with my Savior so that I too could be with him today in paradise? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. We thank you for the simplicity of a relationship with you. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that you've made upon that cross so that we may have an opportunity for eternal life. Lord, we pray this morning that anyone who is in need of making a decision for you, Lord, that they will take that step and follow you Lord, we pray that, that that the kingdom will be grown. Lord, we pray that lives will be changed. And we pray, as always, Lord, that existing relationships will be strengthened. Help us, Lord, to remember the thief upon the cross. Help us to remember that it was the relationship that he formed in an instant with the Savior that allowed him to be able to say, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.